0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word. That means when the Bible is read... We are hearing God speak. So let's hear God speak from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 1 to 14. Feel free to follow along in your Bibles. The passage will also be displayed on the slide. So remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of adversity come and the years approach, when you will say, I have no delight in them, before the sun and the light are darkened, and the moon and the stars and the clouds return after the rain. On the day when the guardians of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, the women who grind grain cease because they are few, and the ones who watch through the window see dimly. The doors of the street are shut while the sound of the mill fades when one rises at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song grow faint. Also they are afraid of heights and the dangers on the road, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper loses its spring and the caper berry has no effect, for the mere mortal is headed to his eternal home. And the mourners will walk around in the street, before the silver cord is snapped, and the gold bowl is broken, and the jar is shattered at the spring, and the wheel is broken into the well, and the dust returns to the earth, as it once was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Everything is futile. In addition to the teacher being a wise man, he constantly taught the people knowledge. He weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. The teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. The sayings of the wise are like cattle prods, and those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. The sayings are given by one shepherd. But beyond these, my son, be warned, there is no end to the making of many books, and much study where is the body. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and keep his commands, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act of judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, friends, uh, how about we pray? So I will pray for God to help us understand this. Heavenly Father, give us faith to receive your word, understanding to know what it means, and the will to put it into practice. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, Amen. Well friends, today I want to begin our exploration of Ecclesiastes 12 by getting you to come with me in your imagination. Uh, Travel back in time, we're in an ancient land, Uh, it's a Middle Eastern land, Uh, we've found a man. He is of royal stock, a prince, perhaps even a king, Uh, a man who's obviously had the benefits of a rich and prosperous life. He's wealthy, but he's also a man noted for his astuteness and his wisdom deeply respected by his country people a man of knowledge and deep learning someone who spent his life investigating life he is a man worth listening to and today he's going to let us into his brain he's going to expose what he has learnt he's going to tell us what he's discovered of life and in some way Uh, he summarises it by reflecting on his own end in the final chapter of his book, which is what we have just read. So um, I want you to come with me and we'll hear him speak across the centuries to us. Hard to believe that someone from that era could do that, isn't it? But he can. He is a man, I think, way ahead of his time. Uh, His words are amazingly relevant. They're poignant. They're powerful. Uh, They show us a some of the deep secrets of life. But before we start, I need to explain our author's approach. You see, he often speaks in poetry and riddles. Uh, in poetry and riddles, he speaks with wisdom and astuteness. But he has a particular focus when he does so, um, that is, any of you here like this, those of you who still have life spread in front of you. I'm a little older than you guys, so you know, there's not as much of life spread in front of me. Um but those of you who are young—that is, many of you here today—and um, the first thing he tells us is that we are not autonomous beings. We live in a world which was created by God, and we humans are also created by Him. But He also helps us. Um, he, he also creates for us, uh, created us with a limited uh, lifespan. I want you to look at verses one to seven of our chapter. Look at them closely. He opens specifically by calling on the young to remember their creator in the days of their youth. Verse 1. Then he talks about days of adversity that will come when the playfulness of youth has dissipated. I'm in that situation, you're not. Days of adversity have come. Verse 1. Eyesights fading. I now have to wear my glasses when preaching. Uh, The sun, the light and the moon are darkened. Young and strong warriors are now elderly. Their hands and their feet tremble, verse 3. The guards who were once strong and erect are now bent over, verse 3 again. It's possible that these references, that the references even to grinding in the same verse actually speak of the of grinding grain with the teeth. If so, then teeth are falling out and are now few. It's, it's pretty dismal, isn't it? but it's it's coming to you. Eyes that don't see very well now, the eyesight is dimmed. His sleep is erratic. He arises at the sound of a bird. The bold strength and fearlessness of his once strong youth is gone. According to verse 5, he is now afraid of heights and finds it terrifying to go on a journey. I haven't quite reached that stage. His walking around now is no longer dignified. No, now he looks more like a grasshopper, dragging himself along. And the desire of youth has faded. As verse 6 states, life is no longer filled with the signs of promise and vitality. No, no, instead, life is now filled with signs of age and brokenness. Silver cords are snapped. Golden bowls are broken. Jars are shattered by streams. Can you get the picture here of things just falling apart because there's no longer anyone who's got the strength to fix them? Wheels are broken, no one fixes them. Humans whom God created out of dust return to the dust. Verse 7. The spirit which God breathed into him leaves the body and returns to the God who gave it. Verse 7. Can you hear what this wise man is saying? Please listen, he is speaking of a lifetime of experience and he is telling us that the life that we experience as vital and full has a limit. Life and vitality do not go on forever. Teeth fall out, that hasn't happened to me yet, but no doubt it will. Sexual desire fades, strength diminishes, illnesses mount and finally, death arrives. Sisters and brothers in Christ, please listen to this wise man's words. He is telling us a truth. We spend our lives avoiding, trying to avoid. Friends, we are going to die. I am going to die. It may you may be younger, but you too are going to die one day. It might not happen today, it might not happen tomorrow, but surely as day follows day, we are going to die. And if that is so, then how should we live? Well, we should live life as though that truth exists. Okay, so now let's do some work in summarising what we've learnt so far. In my view, the our wise teacher in these previous weeks and today has taught us two fundamental truths. What are they? First fundamental truth, we are created beings. We were made by God, we are accountable to God. Second truth, we are frail human beings. Life in this present existence will not go on forever. We will age. The glory of youth will pass and we will die. Please listen to me. I have experienced a large part of this and before long I no doubt will experience the next part of it. I was once your age. Now I'm in my mid-60s. And our writer wants to speak to us before it's too late for us. So he takes the truths that he's learned from God and he examines life in their light. And what he does is do it from various different perspectives and ties them together. So today, apart from focusing on death, I want us to listen to him as he puts work under the spotlight. So death and work, two realities in life. You see, in chapter 2, he looks down at his own work and he looks starkly and honestly at it. Flip back to chapter 2. Have you got your Bibles there? He talks about the fact that he worked hard in life. Look at verse 4 and following of chapter 2. Huge building and gardening projects, he spells out in verses 4 and following. Appointment of large numbers of workers, both male and female, large herds and flocks, verse 7. Then he collected wealth, silver, gold and treasure, verse 8. And he had a whole band of singers as well, and concubines, and wisdom, and all his eyes desired. And so he goes on. But then he pronounces these things as vacuous and deceptive. You can see that in verse 11. Verse 11. He says they're a pursuit of wind. Have you ever ever tried to pursue wind? It's pretty difficult. Can you hear his frank honesty as he pushes on, verses 15 to 17? He may have been wise and knowledgeable and skillful in his work. He may have put in many hours of toil and grief and pain. He may have laid awake at night thinking about work. But in the end, all his effort will simply come under come under the control of others. When he dies, they will get his great ideas. I mean, we're reading his book, but he's long dead. They will get the fruit of his work, which we are doing tonight. They will, some of them, will control it, for he'll be dead and buried. That's what he's saying. So he reflects on work in the closing words of verse twenty-six of chapter two. Have a look. Work in the end is futile, he says. It's a chasing after wind. Oh, please, please don't get him wrong. Our wise te- teacher still thinks that work is worthwhile. It's still something humans can enjoy. It's still something where they can achieve in life. But this and this can even be a gift from God. Verse verse twelve of chapter three. But he warns us that work is grossly overrated. I'm sorry, this is an Asian congregation too. But it is, uh, it is grossly overrated. Work is not life. It's not the essence of life. It is not worth selling your soul for work. Now, I wonder if I can now turn to you as largely well-educated people here tonight, if not wholly, as people whose parents and governments have funded your knowledge acquisition We live in a world infatuated with work and career, don't we? The day we were born, our parents wondered what career we'd end up with. Now, I know you think, no, not my pet, but many of you, particularly from your background, yes, it is true. The day they sent us off to work, they pondered in the back of their minds how we would do. And all the way through school, they looked over our reports as reflections on how we are going in that pursuit. They advised, cajoled, rebuked, trained, worried, invested time and money, and we joined in. We competed and jostled and struggled to achieve, and perhaps we did even achieve. And we so imbibed that world view that we now define ourselves by what we do, don't we? I am Andrew, the founder of churches, a pastor, a theological college lecturer. You? You are John. Or oh, Mildred, the physiotherapist. John, the doctor. Mildred, the physiotherapist. Mike, Kathy, the receptionist. Mike, the plumber. George, the engineer. Sue, the graphic artist. Alfred, the unemployed. Please hear me. Such stuff is vacuous. That's not who you are at all. For if that is true, then the minute you stop doing it, you've become what? Nothing. Don't get sucked in by the hype. Don't sell your soul for work or a career. Such things are not, not what life is about. The writer of Genesis knew that. The writer of Ecclesiastes knew that. And Jesus knew that. After all, listen to the words of Jesus. Listen to what he said. It was him who said, do not work but that which perishes. And it was Jesus who also said, what good is it for a person to gain the whole world yet forfeit their own soul? Friends, we are far more than what we do. And finding identity in work or the pursuit of work and a career can be a tremendous waste of your life. Let me tell you, I've seen people do it. Finding meaning in work and a career in work and a career can be a horrible aberration of life. Oh, I'm not saying that work is not good. No, no. God created work. God Himself was a worker back in Genesis one. So God knows all about work. Scripture tells us that work is good, and the manner in which we we do it can honor our God or the God you. It, it honors God. However, the weight we give it is often nothing more than vapour and a lie. And if you don't learn this now, then let me tell you, old age and death will pronounce the truth of it. So if long life, work, career are not the all and the end all in life, what is if work and career don't define us as people, what does? Well, in order to give an answer to this, I want you to come with me to another location in the Bible for a moment. This time we'll go to the New Testament and I want you in your Bibles to turn to the book of Philippians. And there we meet a man called Paul. Now, the first few verses tell us a bit about who this man is. Have a look at it, Philippians. Look at verse 5 of chapter 2. Paul gives us his credentials. He was born a thorough and well-credentialed Jew, which in his eyes was about it. Then he was born of the tribe of Benjamin, a very important tribe in Israel. He was, as he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had the marks of being a great Jew, that is, from God's people circumcised on the eighth day, verse 5, trained by one of the most devout religious groups in the world at the time. He was a Pharisee, verse 5 again. So devoted to his religion was, he was that he persecuted heretics such as Christians, verse 6. In terms of, of observing the law, and let me tell you, this is no small claim. In terms of observing the law, faultless. Verse 6 again. Here is a man who by the standards of the group he belonged to was of enormous eminence. If you met him and you knew these things, you would have great respect for him. If you wanted to be a good Jew, you could not be far more, be more impressive than Paul. He had much to his profit. But look at what he goes on to say. If you remember that, if you've got that picture in your mind, if you remember that, look at what he goes on to say. Because it's astounding. Look at Philippians 3, verses 7 to 11. Paul faces his works, his background, his accomplishment, and he says, But everything that was gained to me I have considered as loss because of Christ. More than that, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I might gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own according from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Prince, the writer of Ecclesiastes was heading in the same direction as Paul. He was aware that God gave meaning and direction to life. But do you know what happens with Paul? He builds on what the writer of Ecclesiastes said. Think about what he's saying for a moment. He's saying that the things he was pursuing, godly though they might be, were nothing when compared with the worth of being in relationship with God in Christ. The worth of Christ makes everything else, he says, looks like excrement. He doesn't put it as coarsely as that, necessarily, but if you could read between the lines, you'd find he means it. Gaining Christ, being found in him, knowing him, having the righteousness that comes from knowing him and believing in him, experiencing the power of his resurrection life, sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, attaining to the resurrection of the dead. These things are what life, death and the future are really all about. Where work ends with death and does not give meaning to life. Knowing Christ gives meaning and relating to him goes beyond life and into eternity. Look at the verses that follow. Paul uses the language of toil, can you see it there? Now he works and tours and strains toward a goal, he says, and the goal is to win the prize for which God has called him heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's worth working for. And it will endure forever, unlike, as the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us, unlike life, just ordinary life in this world. But let me just help you enter into the mind of this man just a little bit more. We've already seen the writer of Ecclesiastes ponder the end of his life. Now let's see Paul ponder the end of his life and see the differences and see what differences they make. Uh, Let's see what he does. Look at the verses that, uh, actually I haven't put them in your sheets, but they come from Philippians 4, verses 6 to 8. Paul says these words, listen carefully. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only me, but all who have, those who have loved his appearing. You see, as, we, as we've seen, as the writer of Ecclesiastes has written... He ponders the fact that work has a very big question mark hanging over it. It's often motivated by all sorts of issues, isn't it? It's motivated by envy or competitiveness or the pressure of our parents or whatever it might be. And the result and its results, he says, could not be taken with you. You cannot take the results with you. And it could be squandered by those who you hand it on to. What Paul is saying in Philippians is that effort in the Christian faith is very different. You see, effort in the Christian faith is crowned by blessing and by God's endorsement. Its legacy endures for eternity. And this is the prospect of all like-minded people. Friends, I want to take you in what we have seen and heard today and I, you, I sorry, I want you to take in what we've seen and heard today and I want you, to save you from a very deep lie that has been thrust upon you from the day you were born. And that lie is that work makes the person. That lie is that work makes the person. Work makes the man. Work makes the man, work makes the woman. No friends, work doesn't make the man and work doesn't make the woman. Work is a gift from God by which we can feed ourselves. It's an area of life in which we can serve God. It's therefore an area of life that has value. Don't hear me wrongly. And God calls upon each of us to work. Even in the Garden of Eden, he gives work to be done. That's an ancient thing. But a job and a career will not determine who you are. It doesn't determine who I am. Your work and your career will die with you. And so I am saying that a life filled with work and with the pursuit of a career at the cost of pursuing God, is a horrible, horrible waste and an awful idolatry. It is working for something that will perish with you. Oh, there may be some leftovers. Let me say it again, just in case you didn't hear. A life devoted to a career can be a wasted life if, particularly if, it puts aside the greater worth of knowing Jesus and growing in relationship with him. And this is not in my notes, but it's worth saying. And do you know what? There are many people like me who have realised that, but then have turned to ministry as a way of saving that and have made ministry a thing that gives them identity. Perhaps that's even a worse idolatry. So, I cannot finish there. If you've travelled with me today, we started off in Ecclesiastes and uh, we've now moved through to the New Testament. But if you agree with what's been said, then you need to push the conclusions into everyday life and practice. So let me ask you these things. If you believe what has been said, then how how is it going to change your life? Let me suggest a number of areas for us. Let me suggest a number of things that we might do in the next week or year or decade or lifetime. Here's the first. It's a practical thing that you could start this week. Take some time slot in this coming week that you would have spent working or pursuing a career. You know, something like getting into work an hour before you need to or staying an hour longer than is required by your bosses. And give that time to developing your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Read a book of the Bible. Spend some time praying. Spend it engaged in following up a friend who needs to come to know Jesus. That's number one. Number two, here's an idea for the whole of the coming next year. Determine that you will not skip church or Bible study for the sake of work. Determine that church and Bible study will have first, not second priority. Third, here's something for the next five to ten years. Okay, so we're spreading out. I've covered your lifetime fairly soon. Let's give it a try. Take some of the effort that you would devote to work or a career and give it to developing your knowledge of the Bible. Enrol in some course of study that will stretch and develop skills for ministry. Give your time to it. And here's my last thing. Friends, there are some of you here who have enormous ability and gifts. I know, I've got to know some of you. And if I explored more deeply the rest of you, I'd find much the same. And you are pouring your life into a career and into work, as you were educated to do. But have you considered that you might take those gifts from God and use them for something that will last beyond your lifetime? And I'm not saying the building that you as an architect designed. Have you considered that you might give up your small ambitions and enter Christian ministry in some way? Friends, if Jesus means everything to you, then knowing Christ and making him known is worth losing a career for. Gaining Christ, being found in him as Paul says in the Philippians, knowing him, having the righteousness that comes from knowing him, experiencing the power of his resurrection life, sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him uh, in his death or attaining to the resurrection and attaining to the resurrection of the dead. These things are what life, death and the future are all about. And so why can't you give up your career for a lifetime of Christian ministry if you have the gifts for it? Let me tell you, that work will never perish. It will never perish. No such work will follow you into heaven, whether it's done full-time or part-time. No matter how it's done, it will follow you into heaven. Such work will greet you in heaven in the faces of those who have come to know the Lord Jesus through you and through your testimony of him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for what we have learnt from this ancient writer over these previous weeks and even today. Father, we thank you that though he's harsh with us, though he tells us we are created out of dust and that we're going to die, Thank you that you have taught us good things, that we are created beings, we're frail human beings, but that you have things for us and that particularly, Father, that there are things worth selling our soul for that are not work. That is, we can serve our Lord and Master, the Lord Jesus. So, Father, please help us to get things in right priority and to not get sucked in by the hype. But, Father, to get sucked in by the truth, which is what you have said in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.